about a thousand women gathered at this event. It was the uh, World Day of Prayer. And they'd invited a pastor to come in and communicate. It's a guy I had heard growing up through CIY and some of the youth conferences that I went to. He's a pastor, he's a sociologist, kind of a, a short kind of a Italian man, grew up in, in kind of an urban environment. It's got a little bit of a thick accent, wears these black glasses with kind of a, a friar tuck haircut and he, he sweats, so I, I, I get that a little bit. But he would, he would warn people not to sit on the front row because he, it was kind of the splash zone, if you know what I mean. And so he, he would get up and preach once in a while, and, and it, was, it was somewhat controversial. Sometimes he would rather some, ruffle some people's feathers. His name's Tony Campolo, and he was invited to this event to speak. A woman gathered uh, him over to the side and kind of communicated some needs for the day. And I, I, what I understand, right before he got up to speak, kind of let people know that uh, she had gotten a letter from a, a person in need in a third world country that she had a relationship with and that that person needed some help. This person was needing about $5,000. And so uh, she went and laid this on the pastor's heart and said, hey, I, I just want you to, I want, want to know if you would get up and pray that God would meet this gal's need, that God would move in an incredible way in this gathering of 1,000 women for uh, this prayer conference. Uh, and Tony and all the pastoral way that he could answered, no, I won't. He grabbed his wallet in front of everyone. He emptied it. He had $2 and some change in his pocket. He says, no, before we pray, let's just see what we all have on us and what we can do. And let's see if God has already provided before we pray about this. So he, he looked at the gal that asked that, and she opened her purse, and uh, she looked at the gal sitting on the front row, and she opened her purse, and they began to pass these baskets, and this $5,000 need that they had was surpassed with 1,000 people that were there, and over $7,000 was raised. Now, some of you are like, oh, I hope he doesn't do that. It's just for illustration purpose, people. <laughs> just relax a little bit, okay? Just an illustration. But I think sometimes when we think about the opportunity to respond back to God, we expect somebody else to pick up the tab. God, please do something so that this will happen. When the reality is God has given us so much. And we are in a place and a time perhaps for us to be the ones to respond, to make a real difference. But, you know, people don't give necessarily because of, uh, you know, how much of a need there is or how big of an... People give because they realize what's at stake, Right? You work with non-for-profits, other groups that do fundraisers. It's often, it's the mission, it's the challenge, it's, it's what people are doing, it's what's at stake. Children who are going to come out of poverty, oppression that's going to be lifted off of, uh, of people groups or work groups, people freed from human trafficking, or, or you know, it's, it's what's at stake that usually motivates us, right? And so today I wanted to just talk a little bit about what's at stake with us as Christians and what it's about to be a follower of Jesus and what we're really saying through our lives. We've been in this series called All In, and it's been about surrender. It's been about us coming to a point where we would say, I want to be all in with what God is doing here because our mission is glorifying God to help people surrender to Jesus and become more like him. We are a church that believes foundationally the work of Jesus happens in us and through us when we surrender all that we have and all that we are for God's glory and for God's honor. And so we would say this about our series, that we are all in to help people surrender to Jesus. So if you're new with us today and you're like, oh, I wonder what they were going to challenge us to be. I wonder what they're going to say to us. We're going to let you know right out of the gate that your life is not your own. It's to be given back to God. 
It's about us pouring out our lives and surrendering our lives to serve, to care, to bless the world around us for God's glory and God's honor. And so surrender is a natural posture for Christians, for people who say they've experienced the gift of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We've talked about the kind of the four patterns, the four practices that we play out as a church, and they're really pretty simple. We try and help them rhyme a little bit so you remember them, but they're gather, grow, give, go, right? We gather prioritizing the practice of celebrating Jesus together as a people. We grow in groups because we believe circles are better than rows. That's where you begin to pour into people's lives. People begin to pour into you and you begin to grow and be stretched in ways that you wouldn't naturally grow in. We challenge everyone to give, to live a a life of generosity, to give our time, our talent, and our treasure. We challenge people to go, to live as the presence of the church, of Jesus in the world that we're a part of. Today, we want to unpack this idea of what it means to give our time, our talent, and our treasure. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew has written uh, this uh, gospel account, the account of Jesus coming to the earth, uh, giving his life, dying for us, being our ransom for our sin. And in that portrait, he begins to explain a couple of things through what we call parables. Parables are these earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Jesus tells a story, and you begin to look into that story, and two things should happen. One, you should be able to find yourself in that story. And two, you should begin to evaluate your life where it really fits in that story. And so as we jump into this passage, you need to kind of look and listen to what's being said. And it may not register quickly with you because... Uh, you're not in Jesus's day. You're not in his culture. You're not in the time of where he's been already teaching. But let's grab this and I'll help unpack it a little bit and see if you're tracking with what Jesus is pressing into us today. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went, sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he also went away. He sold everything he had and he bought it. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm not really sure what this has to do with me, buying stuff out of fields and chasing pearls. I'm not sure what this means. Well, let me give you a little context of what's happening. If you've got Matthew 13 open, Jesus has been teaching these parables. And the one right before it, Jesus is teaching what we call the parable of the wheat and the tares. He says basically, hey, there's a field out there, and what you see is a field full of wheat. But in the midst of that wheat, there are tares. Now, wheat is good for nutrition. It's something that we eat. It's even where we get our livelihood from. It's how we provide for who we are, and it is fruitful. It's beneficial to us. But in the midst of it, there are these tares, and tares are a weed. Now, ironically, tares look like wheat. So to the average untrained person, when they see wheat, they see tares, they basically see the same thing, but they're not. Wheat is good to eat, it's nutritional, it's beneficial for you. Tares, when eaten, actually are not beneficial. They'll make you sick. They're somewhat toxic. And so Jesus is kind of saying, hey, there's this field of wheat and tares. And Jesus is pressing into this idea of who we are as as people who are following after God, that there are people, wheat, who know what it means to have a relationship with God. Our life is fruitful. Our life brings nutrition and life to the world around us. And then there are those of us that are tares. Now, tares are not people who specifically have no relationship with God. They're people who act like they have a relationship with God, but don't. 
You hearing what I'm saying? They know the insider language. They bought the t-shirt, right? They show up and they do things, but deep down inside, they know what God already knows. They don't really have a relationship with God. What they have is a, a mimicking of what it looks like to be a Christian. And Jesus is trying to call people out and say, hey, well, I don't want to just single, I'm not trying to call you out to single you out. I'm calling you out to call you up. That the way this world is intended to be is that people would know me, would know God, know his love. It would transform their lives and it would bring life, life and vibrancy and nourishment and all the things that are needed in this world. And then Jesus follows up with this parable. Two different people. One person goes out into a field and he stumbles across this treasure. Some of you are like, what is treasure doing in a field? Well, they didn't have banks like we have banks today. And so people would oftentimes go out to an open, desolate area and they would bury something and they would try and remember and then go back and get it if they needed it or whatever. But oftentimes people would die and things would pass. And so what happens is literally this person stumbles across this treasure. And when he finds it, he goes, and with great joy, he gives up everything he has so that he can have this, because this is of greater value. This is what really is going to change his life. Now, some of you are like, well, that's not fair. Maybe that's somebody else. In the open field, in the open country, this was normal. People, if, if you don't own it, you can't put it there, okay? So he went and bought it, has it. It's his to be his. The second person intentionally knows what they're looking for, and when they find it, the pearl of great price... They sell everything to have it. Now let's pull this in a little bit closer. What Jesus is trying to talk about is of something of great value. It's available to everyone. Some of us stumble across it, and some of us are searching for it. Does this sound like our faith a little bit? Sometimes we're like, we didn't know we needed God. We didn't know we needed a relationship with Jesus. We didn't know what was at stake in our lives. But when we found out, we sure as all goodness, we said, I need to change my life. I surrender my life. I give my life back to Christ. But some of us, maybe we saw it in our parents. Maybe we saw it in somebody who battled an addiction. Maybe we went through an incredibly trying time and we knew we did not have what matters. And so we wanted to find what would change our life. And when we found Jesus, we knew this is the pearl we are waiting for. So whether we stumble across or whether we're actually seeking it, there is a treasure that's intended for all of us. And it is worth giving everything to. So what is it? Well, Jesus starts with this idea that the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, this idea of kingdom is played out in two different ways. Matthew is the one who tends to describe it as the kingdom of heaven. And we'll describe the kingdom of heaven as God's will, God's way, as it should be. This is the way it is around God, with God. But we, in this world, have sin that's corrupted our world. It's destroyed us. It's brought death. It's brought oppression into our lives. And so often in the Gospels, you'll hear the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. One is the way life should be and is. The other is what God intends and is bringing to fruition. See, what we have to understand out of the kingdom of God is first and foremost, there is a king. His name is Jesus. Jesus' Jesus's intent is to give his life as the ransom for all of humanity. 
That through his death, burial, and resurrection, not only does he provide the forgiveness of sin, not only does he provide life everlasting, but he begins to bring in a new way of life to restore all of the world and all of humanity and all of creation back to its intent, which is to bring all glory to God and that all people might know God's love. And so there is a king who wants to establish in a kingdom And that kingdom is bringing in a restoration of all things. In pragmatic terms, Jesus gives his life, the king of all kings, which provides our salvation. And our salvation provides for us a new way of life, a new identity that we help usher in the will and the way of God's intention in this world. What a huge privilege. Now, understand this, that when we were given this life from Jesus, it was not just to say, oh, thanks, God. Thanks for saving me, for forgiving me. It was given to us so that we might join in this processional of the great king, that we might share love and compassion and justice and mercy and be people of great generosity and service and surrender so that the world might also experience all that God has intended, bringing heaven to earth, what should be, is now in a conversation of what could be. You tracking what I'm saying? And so Jesus says this. The kingdom of light, kingdom of God is like this. It's like somebody who stumbles or searches for what matters most. And when they find me, they surrender it all to have it. To have it. What Jesus is talking about, it's what's at stake. We would say, well, it's, it's my salvation, it's my eternity. Y- yes, that's true. But what's at stake ultimately is the movement, the will, the way of God being played out and lived out throughout the world, that there are other lives that outside of God's movement through his people, they will not experience, they will not know his love, his compassion. There is an opportunity before us as people to give our lives and our time and our talents and our treasure to surrender our lives so that the world might know God's love. That's what's at stake. And so Jesus lives this out. He says this in front of his peers and in front of these religious leaders. I like what one commentator says. He says it this way. Although the religious leaders of the crowds are blind and ignorant to the presence of the kingdom, Jesus's parables reveal its surpassing value to its disciples, to its students, its followers. And no sacrifice, listen to this, no sacrifice is too great to live in God's will and experience a discipleship relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus, our master. This is what it's about. What's incredible is we begin to realize that Jesus gave up everything. He surrendered his life to give us new life, that surrendering our lives back to Jesus in some way requires us to give back or to give up. And the truth of the matter is, is that where we need to surrender, where we need to surrender next to God is often the things that we don't want to give up. It's in the tension points. And so as we embrace this idea of being all in as a local church, what if this was the reality of our faith? What if we began to live in a model like Jesus 
who surrendered all of himself so that we might know his love and the will of God would be prevailed throughout the entire world and history, what if we took the same posture of surrender? I long for a church that would pour itself out, don't you? A church that would just say, God, dump me. Dump all of me out and have your way with me. Let the world know your love. Let the world be changed. Let children find the hope and security that they may not have. Let people who are hungry be fed. Help those who are sick and blind begin to find restoration. Help those who are hooked on addiction. God, God, use me. Pour me out. Use us. Jesus, our king, modeled that for us. A life of complete surrender. I mean, Jesus was the one who taught this. He would say things like, you know, hey, if somebody asks you for your tunic or we'll say your t-shirt, Jesus says, well, give them your cloak or give them your jacket as well. If somebody asks you to go a mile and help them, why don't you go two miles? Hey, what about this? If somebody persecutes you or curses you, why don't you pray for them? Why don't you love them? I mean, greater, greater has no love than no life. Greater has no man, no life. I can't even say it now, (laughs) than to lay down his life for another. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for another. Our calling to be Christ followers is not to mimic what God has done, but to be who Jesus is. So what's at stake The truth of the matter, what's at stake, is not only that people may not get cared for or served or loved, but what's also at stake is that we may not become who Jesus has created us to be and to become. Here's what I want to say. If the kingdom of heaven is of the greatest value, it should be our greatest concern. If we're Christ followers, if you brought your kids with you today and they're in service with you and you're like, oh, this is who we want to be, this is who we are, this is the issue. If this is the greatest value, this should be the greatest concern. Remember, we we put this out week one. If I put the big rocks in the vase first and then I put the secondary things in second, then all the small details, they will find their place. But if I start with all the details that overwhelm me and I just get stressed out about, and then I put the secondary things that I want to do because I know they're just easy to get done, I will never get the big rocks in. I will never hold the value, the character, and become who God wants me to be. My children won't become who I want them to be. My community won't be impacted the way I want it to be. My world will not be changed the way I want it to be. Not because God's not at work, but because I am the one who controls my life. I have, I'm the one who gets to determine what goes in the vase first. But what Jesus modeled, the church became. And I'm not spending a lot of time on this, but I want to read a couple of passages to you real quickly, okay? Uh, out of Acts, there's a couple of different passages. In Acts 2, it talks about this transformation that happens with people, and they begin to give of themselves, and the world gets changed. But Acts chapter 4, a couple of chapters later, says this. I'm going to read this to you, Okay. Not that you can't read it, but I want to emphasize a couple of things because this is what the early church looked like. A church that poured itself out. All the believers were one in heart and mind, okay? They didn't need t-shirts, but they were all in. You know what I'm saying? They were rallied around what Jesus did. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had, meaning all that they are and all that they had, God 
use it so that I can help the people around us. And it goes on and says this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people, persons among them. And let me pause for a second. Do, do, do you remember what just got read before this? The apostles began to testify. They continued to testify. They got bolder in what God was doing. And some of us are going, okay, okay, I, Danny, I get this. You're going to belabor this, but let me just, didn't Jesus just die and was buried and rose again? Of course they're on fire for God. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They were also being persecuted for their faith. People were also being arrested for their faith. It was not easy or free to live your faith. But the more people lived out their faith, the apostles, the leaders, those who were of charge of starting this church and movement, man, they just got more and more fired up. And the more they got fired up and they began to lead, the more God's grace began to pour out. And the more God's grace began to pour out, the more people began to get involved. And the more people began to get involved, the greater the movement happened. Sorry. Got a few more minutes. I got to settle down. <laughs> but here's what also happened. There was a normal generosity culture in their church. But from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite, no, he's not the one that invented Levi's, but I'll say, we'll say it is, okay, from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field that he owned. He brought the money, and he also put it at the apostles' feet. Now, some of you are like, okay, are you asking us to all uh, sell our houses and homes? We're all going to move in together and start a commune? No. No. This is not about making sure that you give a certain percentage of your income. This is not about trying to call people out to, you know, guilt people into certain responses. This is just to say, what if? What if the value of God's salvation in your life was of your greatest concern for others, for God? How would it impact the way that you would live a life of generosity? Maybe for some of us, it's as simple as just pausing for a moment and saying, you know what, I, I, I need to serve somewhere. I need to begin to give of my time and my talent. I'm not sure what I could do or how I could help, but you were given a program today that has uh, a serve fair. We have, that's why the tent's out front with the big banners. There are specific ministries. There are six of them specifically that you can go to and ask questions of and sign up. And we're going to get you connected. We're going to have you be a part of First Serve next week. We're going to help teach you uh, just some of the ministry that we do and how it plays out and give you a chance to really see how, how you might be able to step in. But here's one thing we know to be true. Generosity doesn't just happen. Generosity doesn't happen accidentally. Generosity happens through intentionality, through discipline through regular, consistent surrender before God. Let's take a deep breath. Some of you are like, okay, so what's going to be the big ask? Here's the big ask. 
we want everyone to find a place to serve and we want everyone to commit to give. Something. Anything. We want the concern of the kingdom to be expressed some way through everyone's life in this room. The kingdom of heaven should be of our greatest value. And when we saw Jesus' generosity lived out, when we saw Jesus' sacrifice lived out, it evoked generosity from others. We must be reminded this truth that Jesus gave up his life so we could give away ours. Jesus gave up his life so we could give away ours. Christians should be the most sacrificial, generous, compassionate, life-pouring-out people that the world would ever see. Jesus gave up everything to give us new life, a new life that was being marked by the good news for the lives of others, not just ourselves. Here's what we want to say. Here's why we want to challenge you. Because in the growth of Christians, this is true. Surrendered living leads to surrendered giving. If you are going to live a surrendered life before God, this should be a part of it. I'm going to share some things in the next couple of moments that might be a little bit awkward. I don't, I don't intend it to be. But I want to talk about some of the values that we have in the world that we're a part of. Now, I, I need to share something with you for a moment. I, I'm a person who loves entertainment, okay? I am what... Uh, if you go to the AMC movie theaters, I am an A-plus rewards member. I am VIP. I spend $25 every month to have the opportunity to go see three movies free every week. I don't see every mo- three movies a week, but I probably see three a month, and I can't go see three movies for a month for 25 bucks, so I, that's what I do. But movies are a high value to me. They really are. I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. But I thought, let's, let's try and figure out something that we could track in our community that we would know how much our community loves entertainment. What I'm going to share with you is not going to be something that I want to preach against. I just want to use as an illustration of conversation, okay? If you get online today and you do a search for the Illinois gaming uh, situation of our world, whatever it is, and you want to figure out what people give for entertainment, here's some statistics I'm going to give you. Now, I did, I did some research from J- January of 19 to July of 19. Seven months. I didn't include Savoy. I didn't include Urbana, Muhammad, the entire county. I looked at one community, Champaign, Illinois. There are 41 businesses that have gaming establishments in them, Okay. Can we just ask a question? Why is everybody naming their gaming establishment after their daughter or their wife or whatever? Has anybody else noticed that it's like a woman's name? You know. Anyway, I, I'm sorry, I digress. How much do you think in seven months the community of Champaign, Illinois had wagered for entertainment? Anybody want to guess? Last hour, somebody said 10 million. Somebody said 25 million. 
Friends, put your seatbelt on because for seven months, here's what was wagered in the city of Champaign, Illinois through gaming systems. Let me read this to you in case you're unsure of this number. $126,713,681.07. I was offended by the seven cents too. Can we not just round it up? Now, some of you are going, no, hold on, hold on, Danny. That entertainment pays back. It gives back to the community. You're right. And by some means, we would say it's generous. Here's what we got back in winnings. $116,447,874.61. And we all take a deep breath and we go, oh, see, it wasn't that bad. So let me just put this out here then. So that means... Here's what our community sent, spent on entertainment in gaming machines only in seven months. $10,265,806.46. I'm not here to preach against gaming machines or gambling. And Here's what I want to say. Could we have done something better for our community with that money than this? You have a single mom in your community that probably could have had some help? Have some kids that are homeless in Unit 4 school district? It's one of the growing needs in our school. How about friends that are in your community group in this church that, you know, are really up against it? Families who have taken on great need to adopt children in our community. Could we, could we, have, could we have maybe found something better to invest our money in than this? Now, once again, let me just say, I prioritize entertainment in my life. You probably do too. And while this may not be your number one entertainment, have we ever stopped to look at the receipt of our drink bill after Friday night out with the friends? Have we ever, have we ever stopped to, to, to look at what maybe it costs sometimes and we just feel like we, we need to go shopping because it was just one of those days? Have we ever stopped just to, I know, I'm going too far, right? Everybody's like, this is really uncomfortable. We may not pull the lever, but every one of us value our entertainment at a high level. If the greatest concern should be the kingdom of God, it should be a priority that's expressed in our time, our talent, and our treasure. What's at stake? What's at stake are the children who who are in abusive homes right now, that nobody's there to support them. Nobody's there to take them in. What's at stake? Organizations like Salt and Light, See You at Home, are trying to figure out how to make ends meet. And frankly, they're short. There are needs all throughout our community that are just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and, and and the question is, where, where, where are we? Well, where is the church? Well, let me give you a little bit of encouragement. I will tell you this. If we all came together to commit to intentionally serving, to intentionally take our time and our talents and leverage them towards God, we would make a significant difference. If we would take our treasure and intentionally commit to leverage our generosity through the local church, you would see this church surge in ways that you've never seen before. 
I could throw in this illustration, right? The, uh, the, the illustration of horses. If you take a horse and tie it to a wagon, it can pull up to 8,000 pounds of torque. If you add a second horse to it, it doesn't just double. It actually goes to 24,000 pounds of torque. But if you get two horses that are unified, in sync, working together, you can pull 32,000 pounds of torque. So let me ask you, what, 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 what might it look like? What might it look like if 100% of us said, I will use my time and my talent and I will give intentionally and consistently through the local church? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Let's move to our time of response. Friends, we need to have a conversation. I'm going to share a few things about where our church is right now. And it's all going to be very good news. The church is in a great state. Truth of the matter is, if, uh, if none of you went out and signed up today to serve and none of you decided to give, we continue to do the great ministry we already do. That's encouraging. And I should say thank you. I should say thank you for the people who stand at the doors when the weather is dreary, hot, sticky, freezing cold. And yet they smile every time you walk in and they say, welcome to first. I should say thank you to the, the people who show up throughout the work week that actually serve as our receptionists or office help uh, that just give of their time to, to return phone calls or details or cut out things. I, I should say thankful, thank you to the, the people that host groups in their own home on a regular basis. And, you know, they give of their time and their talents and they, they make sure that there's enough of the right food so that everybody can eat because everybody's got dietary restrictions. I know I do, right? You know, I should say thank you to the, uh, to the people that hold the, the children in the kids area or put up with the kids in the elementary area or spend their time serving with middle school and high school students. God save them. They're going to be in the front row in heaven. I know they will be. I need to say thank you to the volunteers that they give up vacation time to go on our students' trips or go on mission trips around the world. And I should they say thank you. And I'm so grateful. So grateful. And I am. But did you know all the wonderful ministry that you experience on a Sunday morning and in groups and throughout the week and ministries that are being led by us, the fall kickoff that you're going to celebrate at today? represent 40% of our church. Our volunteers represent 40% of the people who are part of this church. Can you imagine what it would be like if everybody had a chance to serve? Can you imagine what it would look like if everybody stepped up and said, God, use me? That would be even better than than tailgating on a Sunday morning, serving biscuits and gravy and putting pictures of a pastor out for, for comedy's sake. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd like to go to that church. I think we could be that church. I should probably say thank, thank you to the people that commit every month to give something towards the ministry of what's happening in this church. 
Some people are, you know, they're pouring out their wallets, they're, they're tithing, they're consistent, they're saying that the local church is the place that is, it's the vehicle of blessing and generosity, and they're able to, able to pour out all sorts of things for our community. Ironically, do you know that just like 40% of our people serve, about 40% of our congregation gives on a regular basis, intentional monthly giving to see the mission of God advanced here. Can you imagine if just everybody did something? I mean, I think about all the ministries that are going on and all the things that already happen. And for some of us, we maybe just say this, you know what? Things are great around here. Why, why, why do we need more? I mean, look at the building. Look at the property. Look at the... Some people, though, come in and say, hey, you know what we should do? We really need something like Celebrate Recovery or, or Grief Share or a specific ministry to single parents. I, I, I'd like that. that. That'd be good. And as God provides, we'll get to those. Sometimes people say, hey, with that 20 extra acres that you've got, what are you going to put out there? How are you going to develop that? Will the church build something? What? You know? We'll see. We'll see what God does. But I will tell you, the ministries we provide and the things that we're able to do within the community are generated by the commitment and conviction of the people who attend here. But the truth of the matter is, is if we do give on some level, a lot of us only give our time and talent or only give our treasure. What if we did both? And what if we had 100% possibility? Here's where we are financially. Let me just give you some idea. From January to July of 2019, giving has been strong. We have covered everything except $7,000 of our expenses in those seven months. So roughly... Roughly, we're what, a thousand, or no, no, we're about a thousand dollars behind a month through July. Now, summer's just finished. We had three pay periods in August, and, you know, we just got all the, all the expenses and receipts through for, for the summer. So we'll find out where we are later, but through July, that's where we are right now. We know that the $7,000 of debt will probably be surpassed, uh, and, and, and we've got it in our savings so that by the end of the year, when everybody gives, it'll probably, you know, water line will go above it, and we'll be, we'll be in the black. That's what we want. But here's what happens in my office. Somebody calls and says, hey, I've got an orphanage in the Philippines. And the rains came and the floods rose. And an entire administrative area was wiped out. We're trying to raise $15,000. Could you help? Nope. I can't. We had a family that we were able to bless a little bit over the summer who uh, decided to uh, decided to sell everything and go to Senegal, the other side of the world in Africa, to teach in a Muslim community. We gave them a gift of $1,000. 2020 is coming and I know what's going to happen with the elders and the staff. We're going to say, we, we need to prioritize them. We need to make sure that we're ready to serve them. Hope we get there. Our students went to Mexico and they had a chance to really uh, 
a chance to really impact an orphanage of children and serve in a lot of ways. And I've got a guy there that would really like to make his full-time living that orphanage. It's in Mexico, and his wife still lives, I think, in the L.A. area because she can't move down yet because he can't afford it. Wouldn't it be good to reunite that couple? Wouldn't it be good to see them be able to live their calling before God? To care for all those children? I got a friend who uh, just took on a a church planting uh, coaching network. He wants to volunteer his time to help churches that are hurting, that are struggling. To help them get healthy so the kingdom of God can be advanced goes to our church he's one of ours and it'd be great it'd be great to be able to help him do that I have a personal friend that he's not connected here anyway but he's in Mesa, Arizona and they're going to launch their church next month and God's already brought an incredible amount of people to him and to their group I'd love for them to be blessed by First Christian Church. But the truth of the matter is, we're paying our bills. And what we receive every week is provided for. From the faithful people who have continually served week in and week out, who have continually given week in, week out. And the only way we get there to do more is by the intentional commitment of every one of us to serve and to give. I've sat in that room with our eldership and I've seen their eyes and I've heard their voices and every time there's extra money, you know what they do? They leverage it so that the ministry here and the ministry out there flourish and right now we're flourishing but the world is not yet how God wants us to be so here's something to chew on we're going to put our budget together for 2020 and I've heard the elders and I heard some of our ministry leaders come to us and say, hey, what if, we, what if we modernized and we cleaned up and we shifted some things around here? How might we be able to serve everything that's coming our direction? I mean, there are going to be 300 new apartments in 2020 across Curtis. What if we leverage this property differently? I don't know. People say, well, what if we could actually have a presence like a location on the university campus somewhere. What would it look like to do ministry there? I don't know. But I bet we could. People say things like, well, what about Rantoul? I mean, that community has gone through so much. Do you know we have 85 households that live in Rantoul and that region north already? What would it look like to serve that community? 
to be the presence of Jesus there. Hold on for a second. I mean, the truth of the matter is, we've got, we've got households all around this area. What, what if we really began to mobilize every Christian, every household, every group, every ministry in every region where we were within arm's reach? And what if because 100% of us came together, what might happen if we all served and all gave? Well, friends, I, that might be our calling. Nah, God's already done a lot here. Let's have somebody else do that. Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. (laughs) This is us. This is us. This is our calling. This is our responsibility. This is our mission. This is our church. This is our God who wants to do so much more. And we thank him so overtly for everything he's given us. Are we just so grateful that we just keep it to ourselves? No. Not us. We too. On bended knee and extended hands. (laughs) We'll look at that serve card. We're going to walk out there. We're going to ask some people some questions. We're going to find our place to serve. And we're going to make a decision to be generous through our treasure. To give something every month. To quit taking care of the things that we already take care of and start saying, what if we all pulled together? What church might we be Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being all in. Teach us to do the same. By the power of your spirit, through the example of your son, break us, change us, transform us. Friends, we need to respond. There are benches up here to pray while the songs play. There are tables around the room that help us be reminded of our concern for the gift and the sacrifice of Jesus. Eat the bread to be reminded of his broken body. Drink the juice to be reminded of his shed blood. And then open your Give app. Make a decision today. But let us be the ones. Let us be the ones to step out first.